It's time for Fat Dude Digs Flicks with your host, Andy the Fat Dude. What is up, everybody? This is Andy, the resident fat dude here of Fat Dude Digs Flicks, coming to you recorded from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And uh, yeah, it's time for another episode of Let's Talk About. And on this episode, I am joined uh, by longtime guest, multiple guest, uh, multiple time guest, returning guest, however you want to call it, uh, Ryan Stoik. Uh, Ryan Stoik is my DC movies aficionado. He is the man that I go to uh, whenever I feel like talking about the films from the DC universe. Uh, and this one is actually no exception. It is it is not part of this uh, new wave of DC comic book films. No, no, no. This feels like it is the granddaddy of them all. This is the one that really kicked off the trend uh, and still is one of the greatest superhero films of all time. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Stoik and I will be talking about the Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve starring Superman the movie. So, without any further ado, without too much buildup, go ahead and pop up your popcorn, grab yourself something to drink, sit down, kick back, relax. It is time for Let's Talk About Superman the movie. All right, everyone. This is Andy, the resident fat dude here of Fat Dude Digs Flicks uh, with another episode of Let's Talk About. Uh, and I am super excited, as always, uh, for my guest today. Uh, my guest today is a comedian. He is a comic book movie enthusiast. And he might be the guest I've had on here the most often, I think. Uh, local comedian Ryan Stoik on the show to talk about a movie that is very near and dear to his heart. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well, Andrew, and thank you very much for having me. And everyone here uh, fixing to listen to us in podcast land, by the end of this show, you will believe a man can fly. You will believe a man can fly. Uh, we are talking about the 1970s, uh, 1978 to be exact, uh, comic book movie gem, Superman the movie, and I am super excited to get into that. Uh, before we before we do that, Ryan, uh, for people who have not listened before, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? What are your hobbies? How did you come to love movies the way that you do? Well, my hobbies are many and legion, actually. Uh, I, I am a movie enthusiast like Andrew here, and I also rather enjoy comic books and um, well, just lots of things. Um, see, I have a very empty life, those listeners who, who haven't heard me before, so I need to fill it, the, the void within my soul, with many, many different things. And... Uh, I do do local comedy while uh, while we are not engaging in social isolation. Right. Uh, I am currently working on my own comic book, so all this talking and talking and talking with friends and 
everyone else about what makes a good comic book, I'll be able to put my very limited money where my mouth is very soon. Um, so, <laughs> looking forward to that. It'll be and, fun. Uh, It'll be fun to get to see uh, when you get to put this stuff down on paper and get it out there. Uh, because one thing that I learned about you is uh, uh, kind of just by happenstance is that you're quite the artist as well. So uh, you've got you've got <laughs> lots of talents there, Ryan. Yes, 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 I am, and yes, I do, and and that's not humility. I just I have to you know acknowledge when facts are facts and that's just what the case is and see it, it just it's a it's a matter of balance things need to be balanced i i have all these things going for me i i'm an artist i'm funny i you know can i'm a musician i can sing so to balance everything out jesus took my legs um and and so it you know it's all kind of uh comes out in the wash that's right. That's right. You've got, uh, you know, you, you work with the weight, what you've got and man, oh man, you have, uh, the gift of gab, as we like to say, uh, as wrestling fans, I would say. Well, you know, <laughs> well, Ryan, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on to talk about this movie. I think what I want to talk about first though, is where did you, uh, you love comic books like that's that's when i when i think of you i think of your <laughs> intense love for for comics and everything that goes along with that where did this start was this something that that you got right on board with right from the very beginning i think we've touched upon that before but for people who are just kind of finding the show now um what's the story where did you how did you pick up your first comic book how were you introduced to this world well, sweet Lord, first of all, I'm very glad that that's the first thing you think of when you think of me. That's a, that's a very positive thing. Um, and uh, how, how I was first introduced to this world, particularly with uh, Superman and Superman the movie, it actually, uh, from, you know, people of our generation who were born a little after 1978, um, where it was kind of always in the public consciousness, I just kind of remember it being common knowledge, even as a little kid, that, you know, Superman is Christopher Reeve and Christopher Reeve is Superman. Um, and it's, it's something that's always just been around for my whole life. And with uh, the influence of my Uncle Dan, who has uh, rather jokingly, I might add, asked me to stop talking about him so much on your podcasts. Um, <laughs> But secretly, he loves it because he's a vicious egomaniac. Um, right. <laughs> he, uh, he introduced me to the world of comics when I was very, very young, almost too young to remember. Just sort of, uh, he, he actually tells the story of he, he lobbied my parents very, very hard for the, uh, the, the duty, I guess you could say, of being my godfather. Um, because... You know, I think he was just excited. Oh, first kid, new kid in the family. I want to teach him stuff. <laughs> and, right. and 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 that he he certainly did. I actually I've uh, grown up with comics to such a degree that I don't recall what my first exposure to comics actually was. I I grew up watching cartoons on television 
and in the early 80s it was the spider-man and his amazing friends the incredible hulk the super friends you know the both com both big companies were very well represented on the local television stations for for children of our age right. and uh i just uh, fell headlong into them and when most people tend to grow up and discover things like girls and sports i i knew those things existed but i really really liked comics yeah and who's gonna take you away from those things nobody that's who <laughs> well I, I just I, I just think it's like as far as as comic books and stuff go those those shows that you listed the cartoons that were on television like those were my go-to growing up as well like i, I had a, a vhs cassette of um uh the spider-man and his amazing friends and it was spider-man oh, and yes, Iceman sir. and uh uh, shoot, what was her name? Was it Fire Firestar? Firestar. Firestar, and it was just uh, this great cartoon. And then uh, you'd also have the Super Friends, and it was just you know uh, Batman and Superman, Aquaman, Robin, Wonder Woman, the the Wonder Twins. Like it was just this fantastic uh, show. And for for kids that loved comic books, it was it, it kind of felt. Like, to, to get to see these characters on TV, uh, I, th I think because we grew up with them, it didn't feel like it was that out of the ordinary. I think it was just like, no, yeah, it was, this is the TV was, show. Yeah, it, it was part of the process of growing up. And uh, listeners who might be of a bit of a younger persuasion, mm -hmm. uh, we have to illustrate here that it was a very different world when Andrew and I grew up. It was comic books were not just exclusively available in comic book stores. You could go to a drug store, you could go to the grocery store, you could go to just a corner place in town that might be a little hole in the wall that sells, you know, the off and on knickknacks or, you know, food staples or anything else. And there could be a spinner rack or a magazine rack with some comic books in it. They were yeah. almost everywhere. It was, it was cheap entertainment, and believe me, they were cheap. If you uh, choose to believe us or not, the the lowest comic book price I remember there being from when I was a child was they were seventy five cents an issue. Yeah, yep, I remember that. And and with the five or six bucks we're shelling out per comic book now, I know that doesn't seem very likely, but mm -hmm. they were three shiny quarters apiece once upon a time. Yeah, and, it, and was, it was so nice to just be able to go like to gas station or, you know, even just the grocery store. And there it was. There was that spinner rack. That was something I would always look forward to uh, to getting to see when we had to go run errands with the family. If you were a kid, you could take your just your weekly allowance because, you know, you would do chores or you would mow lawns or you would, you know, do anything you can to get a little uh, pocket change or some dollar bills and, you know, the feeling of being able to, you know, go to a place that was walking distance from your house or, you know, just wait a little bit to go to the drugstore and be able to just put your money on the counter and buy something yourself for you that you knew you were just going to love is was a pretty interesting feeling growing up. Right. It's uh, if, if it wasn't, you know, a little piece of candy, a comic book was usually... Uh, particularly for us youngins, one of the first purchases you made for yourself. Yeah, and yeah. 
and it made you feel big being able to buy something with your own money. Right. Yeah, and that that uh, that that love for the the comic books and for the characters kind of bled into the action figure world because I know that you oh, know the playing with all those toys was was something that was super important as a kid. Did you have a lot of the action figures? I know you have a lot of them now. Did you have a lot of them? <laughs> <laughs> Did you have I a do. lot of them I growing do. up too? Yeah, the the funny thing is, actually, I know I have a lot of them now, but a lot of them that I have now, I had also when I was a kid, but they were out of their packages and vigorously played with. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, I still remember one Easter when I was a, a little kid. Uh, this is back when the Kenner Superpowers collection were the the superhero figures of choice and yeah. th that was a dc comics action figure line and there was an easter i spent with my grandma where she just had it seemed like an innate sense of ryan will like this i'm just gonna blindly pick this up and he's gonna be over the moon for a week uh so she picked all my favorite candies up and got the fake grass and got the you know colored eggs that we right colored ourselves the night before and when the easter bunny came during the night in the morning there was a green lantern and the flash sitting right side by side from the superpowers collection and boy i still have a photograph somewhere somewhere in the apartment here of me discovering that easter basket and just with everything strewn about the living room floor in my grandma's house but uh you know she had to have been thinking oh this is wonderful i'm gonna have to clean all this crap up later but man look at that kid's smile worth it totally worth yeah, it yeah <laughs> so and the thing that was super cool about those action figures if i remember like that was at a time where it, i think you would squeeze their legs together and then like yeah their, their arms would move or like green lanterns uh uh ring finger or like his the, the, the hand that had the ring on it would raise like their was, arms would move or their legs would kick you either squeeze yeah. their legs or squeeze their arms or there or you had there was a uh, like a knob on their back where you would you would twist so they would pivot there was some kind of an action move that you could always you know do with your physical hand to be able to have the action figure do some sort of a cool maneuver you know and it was and it was just so much fun yeah oh it was it was great i remember <laughs> the uh the flash you squeeze the legs and his uh his arms pumped back and forth in a running motion. So yep, yep. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was pretty great. It was, I, it was still a great line. I, I did have to, at a much heftier price tag, uh, pony up some dough for a Kenner superpowers flash that I have in the box now, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, is, is that one the, the regular size as like the, uh, the main ones are? Cause I thought they had some that were a little bit bigger now, kind of like a, a redo of the line but they were like a little size bigger than they were at the time are or are those ones the normal sizes those original figures Th those ones those original ones are the normal sizes they were kind of small the bigger ones that you see now yeah. are so are sort of anniversary you know weren't these figures cool they're they're right. newer reissues of of that same line it's just, it's it's so cool like it, it's weird to kind of look back and talk about how popular superheroes were then and then i don't know what happened but it was like this this dead spot where there was nothing 
and then all of a sudden there was this huge boom again so it's just it's it's exciting to be able to look back and see what that was like it definitely came in waves that's true right so yeah i i just it's fun to look at um who were your favorite of the the superheroes as you were growing up well, growing up, my I can remember my very first favorite superhero, actually, and this is probably going to surprise you knowing me. Uh, my favorite superhero growing up was actually the Hulk. Oh, wow. And and because uh, I was really, really just super into that early 80s Incredible Hulk cartoon show from TV yeah. that Stan Lee always narrated that had the very cool transformation sequences and uh, you know, it, it just really, I mean, the, the look of a big green monster smashing things, you know, that's, uh, it was just a really cool visual for a little kid to see. And I could never, I can remember never just being able to call him the Hulk. I had to call him the Incredible Hulk every single time. And it's funny that you mentioned those, uh, videotapes of Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends, because I would do the exact same thing at our local video store, but there was a Hulk video, probably from the same video library that you remember, (laughs) um, that I would just rent over and over and over and over again. And just very passively every once in a while, either my aunts or my mom would go, that's a great hun, but did you ever think about maybe wanting to rent something else? No, and 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 of course, as a child, like no, that that is insane. Of course not. <laughs> like there is nothing else. Yeah, why would I rent anything but the Incredible Hulk? You're you're talking crazy talk, Mom. I don't know what you're. Now let's just away with this this uh, insanity now, and we'll put this in the cart and be on our way. That's right. Let's get open. Let's get open. <laughs> <laughs> So my 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 Superman love, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of along the same way that yours goes, because it's like when I grew up, like for me it was just Christopher Reeve was Superman, and my my yep. love for the character went hand in hand with knowing that he was Superman. But I also remember we had this big like hardcover book that was like a a history of Superman and had all these little comic strips and stuff. Do you remember when it was that you kind of latched on to the comics as well? Was there ever a a time where the Superman comics was something that was really special for you? The comics became special for me uh, because as a really young child, most of my exposure to superheroes was through uh, the cartoons and the action figures. But the comic books themselves, when I got a few years older, uh, the first big exposure was, of course, through Uncle Dan again, uh, but they weren't through comics of mine or comics that I bought for myself. He had, and probably still has somewhere, he had an old cardboard box that was up in the attic at my grandparents' house, and this came with my grandparents wherever they moved so for some reason they had an old cardboard box of dan's old comics that they moved houses with them every time they moved and just every once in a while when we were watching something on tv because me and uncle dan would spend a lot of time together watching uh cartoons on tv or something would come on that would you know be superhero related 
And he would turn to me and go, hey, let's go upstairs and see if we can find any Batman comics or whatever it may have been. And, and he was a DC Comics guy growing up. He had some Marvels, but he was a, a DC guy just fandom-wise on his own. So that's what most of his comics were. And we'd go up in the upstairs attic, and sure enough, he'd be able to find the box, and, and there'd be Superman comics in there intermixed with uh, everything else. And he was a very – the coolest thing about it was he was a very big Justice League fan as well. Yeah. Because I'm thinking just as a as a child, you think, well, I could get this one comic book with one of the superheroes in it, or I could get this other comic book with all of the superheroes in it. Mm-hmm. And and that's usually what his, his money went to was issues of Justice League. So I got uh, a heap in helping of, you know, all the different DC superheroes. And then in amongst those, there'd be the issues of action comics, particularly if the flash was guest starring with Superman and action yeah. comics, he'd pick that up because as the regular listeners would know, the flash is my guy. Right. Uh, so, and that came from uncle Dan too. Uh, but you know, everything that I would learn about Superman is starts from this old musty cardboard box of comics. And like I say, he probably still has them someplace. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, whether it was grandma taking me places or, or, you know, needing something for me to do while they, while everyone went grocery shopping, whether it was grandma or mom or, you know, so to keep me occupied, they would hopefully find a place either at the drugstore or at the grocery store with a spinner rack of comic books. And this is going to sound a little uh, colder than I I mean it to, (laughs) but, you know, uh, because, I was a disabled child. It's the likelihood of me running away wasn't great. Uh, so if, <laughs> if, if, if they, if they sat me somewhere with something to do, they could peaceably do their shopping and, right. you know, be done, be done in a quicker time. And I would be more than entertained uh, just at, at, you know, that point when they were ready to go. And, in, in just a weird twist, one of my favorite things to do was go grocery shopping with my family because that meant comics. Yeah. And and just there was a point in time where I gravitated to Superman, just the, the art in the particular comic books that I remember seeing were always of him flying or in some kind of a dramatic pose or, or even, you know, in, in the more peaceful issues that you saw the covers of where he's just waving or smiling you know it was superman always just had a look about him if it wasn't cool and he was about to mess up some villainy you know it was he was smiling and just he had a look on his face that said oh hey how you doing you know how you doing friend come on in you know very very welcoming look you know and you know, then that made you open the book and read the story. And then over the course of uh, a few more years, when I was still a very young child, there was a little bug put in my ear by my uh, by my grandma. But we grew up in a, a small Midwestern town in Minnesota called Ortonville. Mm-hmm. And if anyone wants to know where that is, you know how on the western side of the state of Minnesota, there's that flat region, and then you have the arrowhead-shaped bump? 
and then it's flat again. Yeah. Ortonville, Ortonville is at the bottom of the bump. That's, that's exactly where I came from. And my grandma put it in my ear one day that uh, we're from Ortonville, but a guy who drew that Superman comic you're reading, he's from Ortonville too. And he knows your dad and he knows your uncles and he went to school with everybody. His name is Dan Jurgens. So anytime you look for a Superman comic, because he draws Superman right now, look for his name. And, you know, then my eyes went as wide as silver dollars. Like, <laughs> wait a second. Somebody that you guys know makes Superman? You know, it's, it, was, it was just mind-blowing at that point. And at that point also, when Grandma pointed that out to me, she inadvertently set my life on a path where I'm still, I'm still walking slowly but surely to this day. And because I, I looked at her after we got finished reading the Superman comic of the month together in Grandma's chair, I said, Grandma, if that guy from Mortonville can draw Superman comics, that's what I want to do too. That's right. And, you know, she, she smiled and was like, oh, honey, that's great. You know, with the exuberance and excitement that you have for a seven-year-old like, oh, great yeah that'd be that'd be excellent and then as the years went by and the years went by and the years went by the the physically growing up happened the mentally growing up not so much <laughs> and, and it got to be something that I just kept being interested in but it wasn't just being interested in it. It got to a point where I was studying art techniques, learning about the industry of comic books. And there came a time where even my dad, who was a little, uh, you know, he was, he was always loving and supportive, but still at the same time, sort of, you know, I really wish my boy would get into something that wasn't this fantasy nonsense, you know, right. and, or, or, you know, he's, he's getting to be, double digits now maybe you should grow up a little bit you know just just uh you know a place to love that only a parent can have right but then but then as as time went by and he he got to see that okay he's not just wasting time he's serious he's learning he's studying and he wants to like this is what he wants to do with his life it's it's not just uh a phase that he won't let go of and grow out of. He's decided that this is what he wants to do. And then when, when he knew that, when he realized that creating these things, these forms of entertainment was actually my goal, he was, then he would start asking me questions about comic books and wanting to know about Stan Lee. You know, he, he then wanted to figure out why, what made me so interested in him because it was something I was so into that I didn't grow out of or let go of. Right, right, and and then here we here we are still to this day. Yeah, and that 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 uh, kind of makes me very very curious. I I never want to ask a person when they're working on something what it is that they're working on before it kind of gets like published or out there for other people to consume. But I'm curious what what kind of what kind of stories are you are you wanting to approach? What kind of heroes are you wanting to create? What what is your kind of entry point into this this world? Because I think no, I'll, uh, I'll definitely say some things. I'll, I'll wet some listeners' appetites. Ooh, uh, let her let her rip, Ryan. Uh, I'm ready to yeah, hear what you yeah. want to do. Um, because I have a plan. Because my uh, 
working methodology is such a way where monthly schedules probably not going to happen for Ryan. Um, I, I don't get possess the speed necessary to meet a monthly schedule. So instead <laughs> of doing your regular 21, 22 page monthly comic book, even my friends, when I was first putting this together, would take me aside and be like, dude, we can't wait for all of this to happen. We'll buy three copies each of us. We swear we will. But you're not going to make a monthly comic book, are you? And I, and I said, no, 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 I'm not. You know, it wasn't a delusion that I had right off the bat. And my buddy goes, yeah, we should, uh, you should probably focus on graphic novels. Yeah. So, so that's what my plan is. That's what I'm going to do. Whenever I put out a story, it's going to be a complete story, a complete graphic novel with a beginning, a middle, an end. And it'll be a little longer, a little bigger format, you know, maybe a little fancier. Yeah. But uh, those are going to be what I put out rather than the periodical, the pamphlet of the regular comic book. And hopefully that's something that's going to make it stand out yeah. on on the racks. That's going to, you know, people are going to see your regular run-of-the-mill comic books and be cruising the racks and looking at the shelves and, oh, wait a minute, what's this? And then my philosophy is if, if they pick it up and check it out based on the look of it, then if they flip through it, because you always got to flip through it when you see right. something new as far as comic books go, you got to pick it up and check it out. Mm -hmm. If I make the art on the inside something that people who are looking at it just got to pick up, it's like, I don't, I don't know what's happening right now, but this looks so cool. I got to pick it up. And I know this is a little more expensive, but there's way more pages than there usually are here. And this stuff looks great. Let me take this home and, and figure out what's happening with this story. Yeah. Uh, and, my, and my entry point for the actual story content, the first one I'm working on, uh, just for, for those here, you're going to... Uh, this is very newsworthy. The title of my story is Last Night. So the first book that you'll see with my name on it is titled Last Night. And basically, the the germ of the idea came to me, as, uh, as many ideas do for many people, mm -hmm. while I was on the toilet. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's just, a, that's just a time when people reflect. It's the most creative are, spot in the house. <laughs> yes, they're, they're, they're deep in their own thoughts and... and in the recesses of their own minds. And that's where the germ of this idea came from. And, and basically, if, if I were to, to streamline it, there, there's much more to it than this. But it's, it is a superhero story. It's a, a vigilante tale in, in the vein of, say, Batman, but not to... There are similarities to Batman in that there is a guy something happens where he decides to take the law in his own hands and he dresses up in a costume and goes hunting for criminals. That's the, the brass tacks that you can compare to Batman. Everything else in the story is, is very, very different. Uh, this, this fellow is the main character. He's an everyman. Uh, he does not have the billions and billions of dollars of say a Bruce Wayne or a Tony Stark. He, a point in the story is that he saves his paychecks and collects the items for his costume piece by piece from 
random places and military supply stores and you know he buys body armor that says not for tactical use right on it uh you know it's 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 a very haphazard piece together looking suit it it looks heavy it looks cumbersome he can't move in it it's not a striking visual it looks like crap he looks ridiculous because that's what would happen in our modern world today if somebody who did not have billions of dollars went to go out and take the law into their own hands and that's basically an exploration of that this is a, a man who is not in any way he he thinks he is he thinks he has trained and prepared and, and gotten ready for for this his first night on patrol uh, but he hasn't and he's not uh yeah. <laughs> you know and 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 just everything that goes along everything that that could be considered a mishap that would happen that would be going on when you know you're out fighting crime like batman would there's there's a lot of humor in in it you know in in those pieces where he's he's trying to fight crime and beat up the bad guys and, and failing um <laughs> because you know it's kind of a, it was a lot easier in my head sort of a thing but when he's actually out there doing it he he finds the difficulty in in trying to do something like that right. and and that's that's the basics of the story where it really unfolds and where the the meat of it kicks in i'm i'm sorry everybody i'm going to have to leave that for when the book comes out because i want you to buy him because right. i have to eat yeah, a little a little tease, a little taste is nice. You you keep uh, the good yes. stuff so that we can spend our money on you. Uh, I'm, I'll I'm soon curious, if you will. That's right. Um, I'm curious because something that I would be really interested in down the road. If it, do you have any interest or desire whatsoever? Because a lot of graphic novelists, a lot of the the, the direct to graphic novels seem to be these semi-autobiographical tales of, of somebody's <laughs> life and thing that they went through. And I personally would be fascinated to read your story of your life through your, your voice. Is that anything that has any interest that you have any interest in whatsoever? Or is that something that we're you just going to have to wish and hope for? Here, here is what I will say. D despite the persona that I try to put off on these podcasts, I'm not a horrific egomaniac. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not walking around thinking I'm, I'm uh, to use a wrestling phrase, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Bret Hart. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I tried to remain humble and low-key about a lot of things, and mm -hmm. And my first initial thought when I hear stuff like that is, ah, nobody wants to hear about my boring ass. However, it, I, I do have stories I could tell. I do have a very interesting biography if, uh, mm -hmm. for, the, for those that have heard a little morsels, little tidbits <laughs> over the years. Um, and if there are enough requests, if, if people – who have listened to this podcast and listened to my stories are thinking to themselves, Hey, yeah, that's something he should totally do. I welcome any and all messages. Give me feedback to tell me you as readers would want to see it and I'll do it for you. 
Yeah, I, I just, I, I will put my name on this list. Uh, uh, I'm, if I have to be the first name on the list, Ryan, I will. Uh, I just there's think Andrew, there's, a number one with the bullet. There he right? is, right there at the top. Yeah, I just, I think that there's, there's a, a, a story that you have that's, you know, I, I've gotten to hear little bits and pieces of it, but I think getting to see it fleshed out and, and kind of hearing it through your voice would be absolutely fascinating and just uh, probably just a, a wonderful a wonderful read because it would have not only your your honesty but it would also have your your sense of humor and uh, I just think I think somewhere down the road Ryan maybe maybe think about it <laughs> you know you've heard it friends have heard it family has heard it strangers from the stage have heard it <laughs> you know they, they, they all they all find it captivating so if there is enough demand i will supply the supply you know? that's what i'm talking about <laughs> so well i could talk to you for hours on end about you about your love of comics in general uh, i do want to ask really quickly just because I, I would feel bad if i left it out so at what point did you decide that you wanted to uh try out the world of comedy because you do an exquisite job i just want to know like where like, where where is it that you were like Thank you yeah i'm gonna try this was it just because you're like well i make people laugh i can i can try this i can do this what what happened that made you go yeah i'm gonna give this a shot now this is going to you know get me killed like puns are really not my thing but I'm going to start this off by saying it's kind of a funny story. Uh <laughs> what what ended up happening was you know just like everyone else you have your private jokes with your little group of buddies and you think you're the greatest and everybody makes each other laugh and you know you don't think that you're going to actually put this on stage for anyone you know it's it's the farthest thought from your mind usually right. but i had a friend who's still my very good friend of this day uh he came to visit me once at, at an apartment i lived in and he said you know what man i think uh i've got a bug i'm gonna try stand-up comedy and it's it's always something that i i liked you know as a fan i i love stand-up comedy i i like putting on people's specials and be made to laugh, you know, it's, it's a great feeling. It's a good way to spend an evening. And I, you know, was just kind of uh, taken aback because he'd never really expressed an interest like that before. But I was like, sure, man, you know, if, if there's a, a local thing and, and you want to try it out, you bet I'll come and see you. Sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'll come watch you. You know, I'll, I'll be your, one of your support system. And so weeks went by and, and it finally came to the point where he was going to be on stage and be at a regular open mic. And me and a, a group of our mutual friends just went to watch him. And he actually did very well, went up on stage and, and had a really good set, especially for a first set. It was really, really good. We were kind of struck by it. And then just one of our mutual friends after he was done turns to me and says, well, you're, you're next, aren't you? You're, you're going up, aren't you after this? And I, I said, well, not, well, no, I'm, I'm just here to watch. But then that got the wheels turning in my head. Like, wait a minute. Why am I not next? That's, that's a very, that's a very good question to ask. Why, why am I not next? So I, I, 
just said, well, you tried it this, you know, this time, I'm going to try it next time. What if I wrote up some stuff and, you know, we went over it and the next open mic, because it happened monthly at that point locally. Mm -hmm. uh, next month when the next open mic comes around, I'll come with you and I'll go up. And that was many years ago and it probably about, geez, probably about 10 years ago now. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and and, and uh, I'm, a, I'm an old, old man. That's, that's what I am. Uh, and from, from there, it's just been, you know, I've been a comedian ever since. I remember right as I stepped off stage from my first performance, which also went very well. My, my stepdad actually happened to be in town and, and came to watch. And my stepdad is the sort of fellow who is not shy about sharing his honest opinion. Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> his response was loud and expletive laden and <laughs> extremely positive. Um, <laughs> he goes, oh yeah, boy, you were really funny. And I, I'm uh, just keeping it a, a little cleaner than, than he put it right. at that point. But uh, he, he was super excited and super supportive and everybody uh, did really like it. I'll just tell the story of my first joke because I, I still remember it to this day. What ended up happening was there was a specific area that the talent sat kind of separated from together with the audience, but kind of separated off from the audience watching right. the show. And the talent area was a little ways away from the stage. Mm -hmm. And, and the poor MC, uh, he, he read my name and, you know, said the thing that MCs say, keep it going for him, everybody. And, Everybody, you know, was very supportive and cheering and clapping. And because it takes me in my disabled state forever <laughs> to reach the stage, you know, the applause died down. It's quiet. You know, and you can hear in the room is the clank, clank, <laughs> clank of my cane meeting the floor. And, the, you know, just after a few moments of clank, 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 then the you know, MC decides to pick it back up again. Keep it going, everybody! And everybody kind of uh, rises back up and, yeah! You know, being supportive. And I finally get to the, the little step on the stage. I get up there and when I sit down, I put my cane next to me and I act like I'm limbering up. You know, like I'm doing stretches and shaking my arms out and moving my neck. You know, and like I'm really getting ready, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack this set. And then I go up to the mic and then I go back and then I start shaking it up more limbering up again and then go up to the mic and go don't mock the process <laughs> and everyone erupted I had them in the palm of my hand from that point on because I knew I had to say something that just said to the crowd I know what you just saw but it's okay to laugh at whatever happens. Right. And and from that first joke, just everybody was in for my whole set. I, I think the thing that I really, I, I, I appreciate with, with your comedy and how we met was because I got to see one of your comedy shows. That was, that was the first interaction <laughs> we ever had. Is that you, you, 
you use everything you have and and are not afraid <laughs> to make any jokes about you know at your own expense or or at no. people's perception of you and i just yeah. think that's it it makes the comedy just feel all that more like oh man this guy this guy gets it this guy <laughs> goes for it so you you got to not only did you get to meet me at one of my best comedy performances you got to meet me at the comedy performance that i almost caused a riot in oh yeah so, <laughs> not just not not just a riot but a nerd riot the best oh, kind yeah. of riot there is <laughs> <laughs> and uh to tell that story real quick uh i we were performing at the first comic book convention in, in sioux falls locally here we had well, a small group of us that had been contacted to be part of this ensemble to perform and just kind of waking up that day, I had this idea. Like, you know what would be really funny is I have this picture of me dressed up as the Flash doing stand-up comedy. Uh, just as a, at a random performance, I decided it would be really funny to dress up as the Flash and do jokes. And somebody in the audience had pictures. And, of course, I had them send them to me immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and I decided to go to local Kinko's and have the photo blown up and with some margins along the sides. And I took maybe about 10 copies and I, and I signed each one of them with the phrase, sorry, I'm late. And then signed my name, Ryan Stoy. <laughs> and I explained to the crowd that, you know, during, a very hefty break in laughter. Like if, if there was a part that they found really funny, just randomly as a reward for being a good audience, I was just going to toss out these, these pictures. And I explained what the picture was. Uh, and, you know, just thinking it would be, Oh, it would be a fun thing to do. Everybody's going to go, ah, ha, 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 ain't he cute? <laughs> you know, but as it turns out, being an audience at a comic book convention, full of people that love the things we love mm -hmm. and they got super into the performance right away and were diving all over one yep. another i kept these pictures i remember that they, they <laughs> rushed the stage area they rushed the stage and we're fighting with one another to, to get these one of these 10 blurry pictures of me dressed up as the flash but every everybody kind of keep that quiet because you know i'm supposed to have a secret identity so you know if you could keep that just between us and the walls that would be amazing <laughs> well i just i think i think it's uh awesome like I, I think you're a great comic i hope that uh once things kind of return to some sense of normalcy you get a chance to do some more shows and just kind of it would sure be great right like just kind of get back out into the world and and uh, kind of have fun again uh speaking of fun ryan it's time for us to talk about the movie at hand 1978's superman the movie my friends i'm not given to wild unsupported statements and I tell you that we must evacuate this planet immediately. Jor-El, be reasonable. Once there was a civilization, much like ours, but with a greater intelligence, greater powers, 
and a greater capacity for good. So, like, I'm, I'm loving doing this show. Like, I just love doing this show so much. Uh, but it, it's always really special when it's like a movie that I haven't watched in a while. And then when it's playing that I'm just like, oh, God, I love this movie so much. And Superman the oh, movie, I, I love this movie. Like, this is just, this movie is, is two and a half hours long, but it feels like it's an hour and a half. Like it clicks by so quickly and it just goes from, you know, uh, the, the way it jumps from story point to story point to story point. There's, there's no boring moment in this movie for me. Like no. I, I love and, this movie and there is so, much. so much. Yeah. There, there, there's so much in there and it, it's very well structured. It's packed to the gills and it's very well structured. The first yeah. act is Krypton. The second act is Smallville, and the third act is Metropolis. And just from moment one, from from the time, and this is what's genius about Superman the movie, because listeners, this was a time when this was the only comic book movie there was. Yeah, uh, th- this was a, a really big risk. The the last cinematic outing of a comic book character was. Batman the movie in 1966 where all the rogues gallery from the TV show hijack a submarine and pretend to be pirates. Um, (laughs) And it sounds like I'm being funny. I'm not. That's That's what happens. Um, (laughs) With shark repellent bat spray and all its wonderfulness. Uh, But that that, uh, that 60s Batman gun, I love that. But uh, that was the last... uh, outing of a cinematic nature of a superhero and everybody thought well that's silly that's funny that's you know not meant to be taken seriously that's camp uh richard donner and the salkines uh Ilya and alexander salkine the producers had a different approach they said we want to make this work superman's great american icon but we got to get the audience to take this seriously and it was so brilliant. I, I took note of this right, I'm not even kidding, right today as I was watching the movie. And this is a movie I've seen probably pert near a thousand times by this point. I can yeah. recite every line of dialogue. I know every musical cue. But right at the beginning, you remember when, when it's a black and white footage and the theater curtains open up. Mm-hmm. And, and they say June 1938. And the first thing you see is an image of a little child leaving through an issue of Action Comics. And, and the child reads the narration box about the, the great metropolitan newspaper, the Daily Planet, serving the city of Metropolis. And, and that is the cue for the audience. Like, from, from this moment on, when this blends into the night sky, followed by the opening credits of the movie this is to show you this the show is about to begin we're not in the real world anymore the quote-unquote real world we're in the world of of the story here we're in the world of superman right and i think that was a cue for the audience and i think that helped the people watching the movie 
kind of agree silently to go on the ride that the that the whole movie was going to represent like okay we're not people in a theater anymore we're watching this story of superman and we're going to see metropolis and we're going to see krypton because even by this point in 1978 the story of superman and the origins of superman were common pop culture knowledge even people that didn't read comics knew about superman right and and they they knew how he got to be superman they knew he was you know sent from the planet krypton to earth and krypton exploded like they, they knew the basics no matter if they read the books or not yeah um and from from that point forward when when the slow rumble of John Williams' title sequence comes through the auditorium and and those credits go reverse, they go right from close up and then they pull back from the screen. And there's the the whooshing of air, you know, for for each credit against a spacecape and that magnificent score kicks in. It's like from that moment on you're invested you're in let's go and that is just magnificent when that happens yeah it's 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 such a great intro that uh leads to a great credit sequence that leads to uh a really fantastic sequence on krypton with just uh you know you get to meet the, the the trio of villains uh who will uh you know proved to be a huge point of uh superman 2 the sequel um they're but coming then you, up again later <laughs> yep but then you also get to watch the destruction of this planet uh with uh uh, uh el uh uh or jor-el i'm sorry sending kal uh to earth and it's just you know watching it it's like you can tell that it was made at a different era of film you know when when filmmakers handle things differently but it still mm-hmm. feels so like I don't know. There's something about it that gives it this really timeless feel um, that I was just really caught up in, uh, kind of rewatching it this time. Um, what's what's your you know? How do you feel about the sequence on Krypton? Like, how does that set the stage for you? Do you think this is handled well? Do you feel like some of the other Superman movies or or uh, you know, shows that have come since have handled it better. Where does this stand for you with this? The Krypton sequence itself, I think, is so amazing. Number one, because the role of Jor-El, Superman's father, isn't just played by some dude. They got they got Marlon effing Brando. Marlon Emin effing Brando, the godfather himself, to play Superman's father in Superman the movie. And at that point in time, there was no better actor. There was no more famous actor. He was the man when it came to movies, when it came to acting. And they got him to do, and and remember at this point in time too, the, the common consensus in the public was they got the Godfather to do this silly comic book movie. Mm-hmm. And just from the jump you can tell that he as an actor is taking it seriously too yeah because he's walking around talking to the kryptonian tribunal the council and he's walking around the three supervillains who are imprisoned in this quasi futuristic alien confinement you know with the with the spinning rings you know and 
and he's just very, you know, very measuredly stating to the council who these people are and they're, you know, he's explaining it to the audience, but he's doing it in such a way, whenever there's exposition given in this movie, it doesn't feel like, well, they're just explaining this. So the audience isn't lost. It's just like from the very beginning, like, I think that beginning sequence really helps things out. Like from there on, you're in the world and you're just watching things as they unfold. And he says, this is General Zod. This is Ursa. This is Nod. And he, and he goes down a list of their personality traits and then what they, you know, have been caught doing, trying to start an insurrection so that General Zod can rule on the planet Krypton. And these are, dastardly criminals and and they you know will be put away for all eternity in the phantom zone and eternal living death you know worse than the death penalty these are bad bad people right and 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 he's doing it completely seriously like his his delivery is is of a wise old member of the council who is passing down harsh hearts judgments on these terrible villains and it's believable from the very first words he says. And then even though uh, Terrence Stamp, who plays General Zod, the great actor Terrence Stamp, uh, has this just one piece of dialogue in this movie because it feels like General Zod and the Kryptonian enemies are a larger part of the whole story, but they're only in this one little bit of, right. the, of the first movie. Um, he talks about you're you're going to be the one to condemn us if you want to, but then if you do that, you're going to be held responsible by me and you're going to be the only one held responsible and you're going to, you'll kneel before me one day, you and your children and your children's children and just doing this great villainous spitting venom. You know, if you imprison us, I'm going to find you and no matter if it takes eternity, I'm, I'm going, you're going to kneel before me, like with such conviction and, and Jarrell still does his duty and confines him to the phantom zone, send him to prison, if you will. And, and then right after that is, is, you know, you get the, the sensation that some time has passed. They don't uh, show multiple sunrises and sunsets or anything like that on screen, but just the way that the, the, the movie is presented, you get the feeling that some time has passed and, and Jarrell is front, in front of the council again, trying to explain to the people of Krypton that if they don't do something soon, their planet's going to explode and everybody on Krypton is going to die. And the way that Marlon Brando delivers this you know, piece of dialogue too, is just dripping with the, I'm concerned for the welfare of, of my planet and my people and my family we're all going to be destroyed unless we do something right now. We don't have time to squabble and fight about this. This is something that is going to happen and I need you all behind me. And, and the council, you know, tries to talk him back from the ledge and, you know, Jarrell be reasonable, you know, and they're just saying that, Oh, Krypton is shifting its orbit. There are some things going on right now, but they'll pass. Don't worry. It's, it's going to be fine. And he utters the immortal words when he's told by the council that he is not allowed to, you know, go behind anybody's back and leave, you know, or, or try to stir unrest among the populace of Krypton. He says, 
I give you my word that neither I nor my wife will leave Krypton. And notice he left somebody out. Right. Him and his wife don't leave Krypton. But then it immediately cuts to the scene where Jor-El is building the spacecraft and loading it up with the, you know, what they'll need for travel. And then Jor-El's wife, Lara, Superman's mom, brings the baby. Right. Prepping the baby to be sent off to uh, uh, a better world, a, a different world so that it's safe. Um, you, you mentioned here uh, Marlon Brando and you mentioned Terrence Stamp. Uh, this is a murderer's row of talent in this movie. I mean, you've got, like you said, yes. you've got Brando, you've got Terrence Stamp, uh, Gene Hackman is Lex Luthor, Ned Beatty is sidekick Otis, Jackie Cooper plays Perry White, uh, Glenn Ford is Pa Kent, uh, Valerie Perrine, who was a great actress of the 70s, plays Miss Tessmacher. Uh, I mean, this is just uh, quite the ensemble. And that's, you know, before... Christopher Reeve and, so, and Margot so, Kidder became some, stars. So, some guy that graduated from Juilliard. Some guy named Chris. <laughs> yeah, uh, some, some guy named Chris. Yeah. And that's what people on the set thought. Some Juilliard kid named Chris. He, right. He, he's going he's gonna to be Superman. In, in this movie, in those opening credits, Christopher Reeve is third banana. He gets right. third billing behind Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman. The movie is called Superman <laughs> and Superman gets third billing. Right? And that's, you know that's what we're looking at. This was this was the movie that made him uh, a star, like a, a just a bright shining star. I feel like this movie kind of set that precedent for having a movie like this uh, with a cast of, you know, with, with an A-list cast, with, with trying to get big names and, and reputable actors into kind of the, the superhero genre. But again, it wasn't something that we, even though this movie came out and was so successful, it wasn't like we had another one for quite some time. Um, and the sequels, you know, they, they, they did a little bit. <laughs> but, but two, two, two was good. Two was two, good. Hey, two is fantastic. And I like three. <laughs> uh, and four is, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. It's not, not See, good, now, but it's fun to watch. Now, we, 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 the two of us, have that backwards. I don't like three. Ex really? Except, except for Drunken Superman and... <laughs> And the Superman versus Clark Kent fight. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else about that movie sucks hard. Uh, oh, to, to, give, to, to, to give my uh, very measured film criticism response, this movie sucks hard. Um, Hacker Richard Pryor, though? I mean, come on. <laughs> just, I'm, I want you to do me a favor, Andrew, and I want you to say that sentence for me one more time again. Yeah, computer hacker. Richard Pryor. <laughs> That's why this movie sucks. Stroke <laughs> of genius. Stroke of genius. And and, <laughs> uh, and four would have been better if they didn't have a twelve dollar budget for special effects. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I do and remember that, that, seeing four in theaters though. So. <laughs> That's what sinks that movie like a rock is they, <laughs> they had a $12 special effects budget. 
<laughs> but yeah, go, going kind of back to, to uh, what I was talking about with the cast, like, is this, for you, do you kind of feel like this is it? This is the one that kind of was like, look, we can do these movies and have these people with reputations behind it. So it's, it's not a joke. It's not something that will be treated with like oh. a, a disrespect. Definitely, this this was it. This is this is why the producers got these people. It's exactly the reason why they did it, because because they know that the public consciousness, the audiences at large, are oh we'll take the kids. It's gonna be fine. I'll catch a nap, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and they're gonna be entertained. It's just gonna be some silly movie of some guy flying around in his underwear. <laughs> uh, but you know when when moviegoers see that it's Marlon Brando, it's Gene Hackman, it's all of these absolute A-list performers. Oh, wait a minute. They're this isn't they're not messing around like what and it, it's got it had to be intriguing as the audience. The like they're they're getting all these great talents who are in real movies, real mm-hmm. you know, real serious films to to be in a movie about a superhero you know right. and and it it's so strange because now the reaction to something like that is yeah what else are you going to do like of course you know because mm-hmm. it's, it's it's what we see multiple times a year every year yeah but but this really was the first of its kind right and it's it's like you wonder when uh this star fill in the blank here is going to appear in a superhero movie because that's what people do. This, this kind of set the stage for that, I think. So yeah. And and this wasn't, and it wasn't a situation too, where like in modern comic book movies, you know, there, they have, you know, a big star in, in all of them. And, you know, they have star making turns for some cast members in a lot of these movies also, but, this one, Superman the movie, really and truly had like all of the stars, yeah, in, like line, lined up in a row for for this movie because, and it was purely because the producers and the director wanted to make sure that audiences, by and large, knew that they weren't messing around. This was not silly. This right. was they were going to make a serious run at this. Yeah, I just, I, I, I their, their casting is genius because this is just a, a perfectly cast movie. Everybody kind of falls into these parts uh, so, so well. Um, so, so we leave, we leave Krypton, we get to Kansas, you know, we, we uh, learn about Superman's origins on, on Kansas or, or Clark Kent uh, is, uh, you know, how he kind of comes to be uh, in Smallville and I, I, there was a, a really nice moment in this movie that I feel like it, it happens in another uh, more modern Superman movie. But I feel like the, the message is very direct here between Pa Kent and, and young Clark, where, you know, he's telling him that you're here for a reason. Like, this, you, mm-hmm. you were sent to us for something, and we want to, you know, figure out what that is. And it's it's for something better than just you know just playing football or, or going up against these football players. Because um, at at this moment in the film, if for those who maybe there are some who remain that haven't seen it, um, 
Clark just got returned from school. He he's the towel boy, basically the equipment manager on the Smallville football team. And and he was freshly bullied by some football jocks in school. Uh, and after you know, blowing off some steam by running at super speed back to his farm where he grew up. Uh, he's, he's met by the same friends that sped away in the, in a car uh, on the, on the way to where they're going. And he's just kind of sitting there waiting by his, his farmhouse and in, in a pose that when you see it, you never forget. He's just got his arm folded and his, his uh, foot up against a wagon wheel, like, "Hey guys, how you how you going?" You know, and, and uh, they they say, "Clark, how you get here so fast?" And he just shrugs and goes, "I ran." And you know, instead of being impressed, like, "Wow, isn't that amazing?" Uh, all the people in the car, except for sweeter than honey, Lana Lang, who right. you know we all feel for, uh, says, "I told you he was an oddball. Let's get out of here." You know, it, it's. <laughs> it's not of uh any consequence to him and then when when he's kind of you know you feel the by the actor's name is jeff east as young clark kent but and you feel the weight of the world come back on young clark's shoulders and he just sighs and like oh you know i'm never gonna catch a break with these kids you know and then you hear from off screen the wizened old voice of pa kent and, and this is just one of the greatest introductory lines to uh, a, a scene of dialogue that I can remember. He just from off screen goes, been showing off a bit, haven't you, son? You know, and, and, and uh, you know, he then proceeds to put his arm around Clark and Clark puts his arm around his dad. And as they're walking up the long path to the farmhouse, he talks about, you know, Clark says, you know, Every time, if they gave me the football, I could get a touchdown. Every time, you know, I, I could, you know, mean something to these people. I could be cool. I could be accepted. You know, and, and you know, his dad says, "Clark, I know, but you know, I, I know you can do all these great things." And 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 his exact dialogue is, "And you feel like you will just go bust unless you can tell somebody about it." It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like I know, but. You know, when you came to us, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we did know that you're here for a reason. And whatever that reason is, it's not to score touchdowns. And, you know, just in that some Midwestern upbringing kind of way, the clerk kind of shrugs and goes, yeah, Dad, I know you're right. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's just a, a very heartwarming piece where, where again, you know, you get the dialogue that would come off as cheesy or just expository or, you know, we, we got to throw this in so the audience knows what's going on, you know, but given the performance of the actors involved, it doesn't feel like that. It does feel naturalistic. It does feel like a father talking to his son and it does feel like, he, you know, the son finally has the light bulb go off over his head Oh yeah, Dad. I get it. Okay, yeah. you know it's the the whole Smallville sequence is like a Norman Rockwell painting come to mm -hmm. life. Yeah, 
Yeah, it really is. And it really kind of helps instill that uh, uh, do right, that do good sense of attitude mm-hmm. with, with Clark Kent. And I think, I, I feel like this movie, the, the, the first two sequences of this film really help establish the character in a way that a lot of other movies, I don't know if it's so much that they're not concerned with, or it's just they're not really willing to take the time to do that. And it just, it, it really adds to everything about this character and, and everything about this movie to get this time before the action starts, before the superhero story starts. And, uh, and if you we know, could go back real quick uh, yeah. to the Krypton sequence, the same kind of thing happens when Jorel is putting the baby in the rocket because mm-hmm. he's talking to his wife, Lara, and says he'll be different from them. He'll be faster, stronger. The, the gravity of Earth will give him great abilities and powers. You know, He'll look like one of them and he'll use that to his advantage, but he'll be very different and he'll be able to use these abilities to survive you know just something that would sound very differently if marlon effing brando wasn't the one (laughs) delivering these lines but but then the audience goes along with oh yeah oh yeah okay he's gonna be able to fly he's gonna be super strong i i I get it okay okay you know and it's 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 just more little exposition that doesn't feel like exposition that feels Mm -hmm extremely natural and pertinent to the situation that's going on on the screen. Like this movie is full of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that for me, that's one of the reasons why I think this movie works really well. Uh, so to kind of keep, keep it going here. So we, we get to, you know, he's, he's goes through Smallville. Uh, pa Kent uh, sadly passes away. Superman or Clark Kent wants to learn his history. Uh, then he goes to the uh, fortress of solitude uh, watches it construct itself with the uh, Krypton bar, Kryptonite bar, or or whatever, uh, and then it it fasts forward after he kind of meets his like the the hologram or whatnot of his father. Uh, then it kind of fasts forward to Metropolis, and here we are right in the hustle and bustle. Uh, I think you get some really great sequences earlier on, early on in this Metropolis. Uh, uh, section of the film because you get Ned Beatty uh, running away from the cops because they they're following him to get a hold of Lex Luthor. Uh, you get they establishing Lex Luthor's sidekick, right? Uh, you get establishing Lois Lane's relationship with uh, everybody at the Daily Planet. For me, it was just it's so funny because Jimmy's trying to take this picture and he tells her to turn around and it's like it's like people today. Uh, he tells her to turn around and she instantly turns and it's like model pose. Boom. Yeah. Like a, like an Instagram selfie, <laughs> you know, right there. Um, and then she immediately asks the question, how many T's are in bloodletting? Right? <laughs> yeah. And then how do you spell massacre? Like, it's just yeah. this complete, like, uh, Hey, this is a funny moment. And then, Hey, I'm probably Miss Lane. What are you moves. writing? An ode to spring. How do you spell massacre? <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just, it's, it's such a fun moment. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, we establish the, the beginnings of the relationship between Clark Kent and Lois Lane as co-workers. Um, yeah, it's just everything moves at such a good clip, but it feels so, like, it doesn't feel rushed. It, it moves at the, at the no. right speed. It's, it's so nice because everything is being set up for you right there where it doesn't feel like, okay, I'm the movie. I'm going to tell you what's happening. It just does it in such a way that I think a lot of, a lot of other movies in this genre 
don't quite do right. Like the dialogue is flying. Everybody is is back and forth with each other. It's just snappy prose, bang, 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 bang. But it does yeah. it doesn't again feel like they're just firing off one another. It feels naturalistic dialogue that would happen in a very busy office setting, mm-hmm. and everybody's just playing their parts absolutely pitch perfectly. And one thing that I noticed too upon repeated viewings of Superman, like once we get to Metropolis, one of the common complaints about the Superman character, and I just mean at large, is, oh, come on, you mean nobody gets that just a pair of glasses and a tuxedo is what's different between Clark Kent and Superman? But you really see it. When you get to Metropolis, when you get to the Daily Planet offices, Christopher Reeve playing Clark Kent is so shy and low-key and slouched and looking at the floor and never really you know you can you can always understand what he's saying but he's kind of nervous and mumbling his dialogue and 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 no one in the daily planet office if if you notice this no one even looks at him yeah no one's paying attention to him like 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 he he's right there he's talking to people he's interacting he's involved but no one even looks up at him. He, the, no, no one has made eye contact with him at all. Yeah, and, and if, they, if they do look, look at him, it's just a glance, and then they move back to whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. So it really creates the feeling of, oh, this is just a guy, the, you know, the, the new guy. Okay, yeah, hi, how you doing? You know, just just really, really dismissive. Like, yeah, great, nice to have you. I got stuff to do now. You know, it's like he, he's blending in to his surroundings so seamlessly and that's what he's been told and been trained to do because one thing we didn't mention is when he leaves smallville for the fortress of solitude one of the kryptonian crystals in his rocket ship guides him to where the forces fortress of solitude is going to be up north Mm -hmm. in the arctic and constructs itself and then he spends once the fortress of solitude is there 12 years yeah learning learning about everything learning about history learning about krypton learning about who he is learning about humanity and the human race so he's there learning with a hologram of jor-el for 12 years before he gets back to metropolis so that that's why he is you know he he knows everything he knows he seems to be able to do what he needs to do because he's been gone learning that for so long so he so he knows his role in playing a human being is to not be noticed, to blend in, so that no one is even looking at you. Because then when stuff goes south, when things hit the fan, then you can be who you really are, and no one will know that it couldn't possibly be that this great, dynamic, selfless, and wonderful man is this weird little Kent guy from Kansas. Right. I think it's, I'm not even sure what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because a lot of times people talk about the Superman character as kind of, and we're going to get sort of off topic and go a little deeper here, but I I feel like a lot of people think of the Superman character as a very Christ like figure. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of that in the, the, the sending of the character to earth, but also uh, in the fact that there's a whole section of his life 
that is unaccounted for in the movie of him learning, uh, you know, who he is and about humanity yeah, about, and stuff like that. From about 15 to 30. Imagine right? that. Right? So I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like I read that somewhere in a book. Uh, <laughs> so it feels very, very parallel. Like this, this, this idea of, of Superman as a Christ-like figure isn't something that's just uh, reserved for modern movies. I feel like there's a lot that they're doing here to, to play with that in this movie as well. Um, I wonder... Uh, yeah, I, I just I just wonder if that's something that that kind of uh, sticks with you as well. If that that metaphor of, of Superman as a Christ-like figure, oh, extremely, and yeah. just with the character of Superman, I I know uh, many other friends who are Superman super fans, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that always sticks out to them is is the character of Superman, without hesitation, always without exception knows what the right thing to do is right. and just sets out to do that right thing, whatever it is, when, when everything else around him, when he's surrounded by literal evil and corruption and, you know, criminality and depravity, he's just the shining beacon, this, this uh, paragon of goodness that, that when he, stands in place or floats in the sky and strikes those familiar poses you believe that a throng of people standing on the ground will point their fingers to the sky and you know and every time it happens he just has that awe-inspiring presence that that you know is 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 very much a parallel to to Christ you know he he, he's magnetic he draws people to him he always does the right thing and tries to lead by example and and tell people what the right thing is and and that's one thing that um as Superman was being taught by the hologram of Jor-El one thing that was said one piece of dialogue is they can be a great people Kal-El they wish to be and it's because of this, their capacity for good, that I've sent them you, my son. They can be a great people. They want to be, but they only lack the light to show the way. Yeah. And if, if that ain't a Jesus parallel. Right? right? Big time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to leave stuff out, but I also I, I want to kind of keep things moving here. Um I want to I want to jump to uh, before the ending because I want to talk about the ending a little bit more here uh, mm-hmm. because uh, as as perfect as I think most of the movie is I gotta I gotta admit that I have some issues with the ending of this movie but if there is any person on this planet who will make me see the good <laughs> in this movie the good in this part of the movie I believe it's you. Uh, Andrew, are you saying that I have a particular knack for something like that? See, so here's the thing. You you (laughs) like to take my negativity and turn it into positivity. uh, Yeah, you jerk. You'll find a magic way of doing that. I don't really understand how you have that gift, but but we'll get to that in just a second. (laughs) So the rest of the movie, basically, before we get to the end, is, you know, we we meet Superman. this, This helicopter rescue is just probably one of the best like real introductions to a hero 
uh, of almost any kind of superhero movie. Like I love that helicopter rescue. And then he goes. I have to say, Andrew, it is not just one of the best. It is still from 1978. It's 2020 now. It is still the best superhero introduction that they've ever done. Yeah, it's just it's written so well and and it's put together so well. Like I just love that moment. Uh, and then after that, then you get to watch him like you know, just do Superman type things in a sequence where it cuts from him saving the day here, saving the day there. And then he even gets to rescue a cat from a tree. Like that's my <laughs> Superman. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and then he, he uh, you know, this whole time Lex Luthor is scheming and trying to figure out how they can defeat this, this weird creature, uh, you know, that this person who, who's trying to undo everything they want to do. Uh, he comes up with a plan. Uh, they get kryptonite, and then he is rescued. Uh, Superman is rescued in the swimming pool by Miss Tessmacher. Uh, there's just a lot going on before you get to the end. As much as, much as we've, talk about that part, as much as we've talked about, as as much as we've filled in the story to this point, it sounds like we're most of the way through this movie to to the listener. And Lex Luthor's been in maybe one scene up to this point he's he's not in the movie yet and he's he's got a whole he's got a huge part to play and even even after all we've been through to this point we haven't really seen him yet right and and after superman's first night which by the way i just have to do this in a recorded environment the the wise ass in me will not let it go by (laughs) but that that part when he is when he does that classic iconic Clark Kent to Superman shirt rip where you see the S underneath his clothes and and then he kind of looks a phone booth up and down and goes nah you right. know and, and just kind of kind of as a nod and and then when he does the the classic thing he does the revolving door and he he steps in Clark Kent and comes out spinning the door really fast as Superman the first person that sees him is just a guy walking the street and oh i love this dialogue (laughs) (laughs) you know we we see him in the full superman costume for the first time the guy walking the street looks and goes say jim woo! (laughs) that is a bad outfit woo!" (laughs) and then superman just you know puts up a finger kind of smiles and goes excuse me and flies up to, to save to save the helicopter it's like Oh, it is just the greatest. I feel like if he had more time, like Superman would have sat down and had a conversation with this guy about his life choices. So Yeah. It's like <laughs> I gotta go do something right now, but we gotta talk about the direction you're taking your life. Take a range check on that. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So so uh, there's a whole lot of plot here that we're kind of getting past, but but this isn't this isn't really always a, a deep dive show. We just kind of touch upon things. Uh, but I do want to talk about the ending of this movie uh, because I will feel I will feel bad if I don't say it. So <laughs> this, this has been bugging Andrew, and 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 I like <laughs> Superman, and am here to help you. <laughs> so we've we uh, Lex Luthor's plan has has come to fruition. Uh, Superman is able to save some people, uh, but he is not able to save Lois Lane. A uh, missile has hit the San Andreas Fault. It has destroyed, I believe, the Hoover Dam uh, or yes, a dam. dam. 
then it has uh, created a fault line that Lois Lane's car has fallen into. She has been... Broke the damn damn. Yep, broke the damn damn. Uh, she falls in the fault line, gets covered in rocks and debris. Uh, he's a little late. He gets there. She has passed. Uh, he utters a scream of defeat and flies into the air meets the ghost of his father who tells him not to interfere with human history not the ghost but like a a memory of his father who tells him not to interfere the, with the human spirit history. of his father right and then superman goes out into the solar system and reverses the earth's axis which takes everything backwards and once he puts the earth's rotation right again it is as if these things or some of these things did not happen. Uh, and Superman saves the day. So, Ryan. <laughs> su- Superman as time traveler. Let's, let, let me hear your thoughts on the ending of this movie. Well, to answer this, <laughs> um, we, we have to go back again to the beginning of the movie. And we're not going to go all the way back to the beginning and come back to where we were. But right at the beginning of the movie, the way they opened it is so genius. Like, they haven't done this since for any other comic book movie. When, when they took the audience through a black and white movie screen, once the curtain opens, they, they said, basically screaming through a megaphone, you are not in the real world anymore. You, you are in the world of Metropolis, of Lex Luthor, of Superman, of flying men from the sky of vicious Kryptonian criminals, of, of all this far-flung fantastic mythology. This, this is where you live. For these two and a half hours, this is the world we're in now. The, the word that Richard Donner uh, used, the director Richard Donner used when making this movie over and over again, he actually had a sign made, which was a flying, smiling Superman carrying a banner like a flag and the flag said verisimilitude on it and he kept it in his office and he still has it to this day (laughs) Uh, because his mantra when making this movie is just like the tagline was for the movie you will believe a man could fly if i can make the audience believe that all this is happening that all this could be real if i could make the audience root for these characters if i could make this audience believe then anything i put up on this screen is going to work because just like the early comic books you remember when before things in the comics got a little more nuanced our readers were a little more interested in actual science. They were a little more savvy on how things actually worked. Um, before that, before the more modern ages of comic book writing and storytelling, Superman could do anything the plot needed him to do. Yeah. He, he, he developed powers on the fly. He once had super ventriloquism. <laughs> <laughs> not making it up he, he he once had the power to generate smaller supermen tiny supermans and project them out of his hand for for what reason i don't know <laughs> but 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 for one issue he could do it and he could he could 
throw big chains around his shoulders and pull planets back into orbit. He could literally blow out a star like a candle on a birthday cake uh, because that's what the story needed Superman to do, and he's Superman. Superman can do anything. Right. Uh, but and And that's kind of what we were you know, facing, that was kind of the, the parallel of the character. Uh, well, the, the story needs Superman to do this. Superman can do it. In this world, we, we know that in the real world that we live in, this couldn't happen and all life on planet Earth would cease to exist if this were to actually take place. Everyone would be thrown off the surface of the Earth and we would all die. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, our, our, in, our, in our minds, in our brains, we know that. But this is Superman world. And Superman can do things that regular people can't do. Regular people wouldn't be able to do this. We as human beings couldn't do anything like this. But Superman could do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean... He can, I guess, and they do say, like at the in the in the very beginning of the movie, with with all of the stuff happening on Krypton, that he has great powers, and you know they don't always go so deep into what those powers could be, and, and, and so they make a point. To, they make a point to say that that he'll be discovering them as, like like Jarell and Lara even say, we don't even know what they're all going to be. He'll be discovering them along the way. We don't know yeah. what all his powers are going to be. Yeah, and so, I mean, and in, in and with what he's been shown, because then that creates a question for the audience. I'll go even a little further than this. You know, the the more snarky among the movie going or comic book fan audience would be like, well, if he does this one time, why can't he just reverse the trajectory of the Earth every time and make sure nothing bad ever happens? <laughs> in, in the in the context of the movie. It, it is very, very bad for, for Superman to have done what it is that he did. Right. He, he, he's, he's told multiple times while he's learning with his father, you are not to do anything like this. And yeah. the Marlon Brando's exact dialogue, and I, I love getting the opportunity to bust out my Marlon Brando. So the, <laughs> the, the, the thing, the dialogue that he says is, it is forbidden for you to interfere with human history. You know, it's, it's not just, you know, you really shouldn't do that. It is forbidden. You do right. not do it. And, you know, in that moment that you mentioned, in that scream of anguish, you know, everybody, it, it's, it's, it's become a common trope in plays and in movies and in television programs. Whenever someone close to the main character dies, they're cradling the body of their loved one in their arms and oh you know it, it it happens everywhere but but when it happens in superman the movie and andrew this would be a perfect point for you to actually splice the audio of it into <laughs> the the actual podcast but but the actual anguish because it it builds he he's holding the the still body of Lois Lane and he, and he gives her just a slight kiss on the forehead like come on come on wake up you know I'm I'm here it's fine you know and and then he slowly slowly realizes that she's not unconscious she's dead and then there's there's a far off shot 
you know, that they're just specks in the camera lens from way far above. And Superman just slowly realizes she's not going to wake up. And just, he starts shaking his head and shaking his head very, very slowly. And th then he starts repeating, no, 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 no. And, and, and then just, it's a kind of building and then, and then tears well up in his eyes, you know, and, and he just is kind of trying to rein himself in and come on, Superman, keep it together, you know, but, but then, you know, he, he finally stands up and with everything in his being screams aloud to the heavens. Like first it's, first it's a little whimper when he first opens his mouth and then, wah, you know, just all the anguish in his being at that moment rises to the surface and without thinking he just flies straight up and is like I don't care I'm gonna do this and then he's confronted by the spirit of his father saying nope it is forbidden don't do this and he he pushes on anyway and during that whole scene yes he's you know in in breaking everything down to its simplest context you can make anything sound stupid um Superman is, you know, flying backwards around the earth to reverse the rotation. You know what? But uh, evolution is just a giant cosmic fart there. How do you like that? Um, <laughs> so if, 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 if you break everything down to its simplest uh, terms, you can make anything sound dumb. But if, if you're willing to believe, if you're willing to go the distance, if you've gone the distance with these characters in this universe this far, where you've seen a diabolical criminal mastermind living underground with his sidekick and his girlfriend uh, plotting nefarious criminal schemes for years and years and years. You've seen a planet get destroyed and, and explode. You've seen a flying man rescue a helicopter and a kitty cat and Air Force One and foiled jewel thieves. You're, you're not going to, at that point, you're not going to go, okay, wait a minute, <laughs> pump the brakes, you know, with all this fantastic stuff you've seen. Oh, yeah, sure. Superman can do that. Okay. You know, and, and you don't get the feeling that he's going to do it anymore. Like, right. it, it is just the once. It is just to save Lois. And, and it's not something that is expressly shown in the film. But, you know, the way that Christopher Reeve carries himself, because he was just such a magnificent performer in all of his roles. But you, you just get the feeling that this is something he did one time and will never do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I, I can see uh, I can see where you're coming from. And I, I appreciate your perspective on that. I, I'm, gonna, I'm always going to think that the ending is just a little, a little out there. Uh, <laughs> but back, back when I'm going to, I'm going to make one final point and maybe this will be the sticker for you. Yeah, but back, back, back when we first saw the movie, when, when we were, cause I know we were both little, little kids when we saw the movie for the yeah. first time. And then that scene came up in the movie right from the beginning. We're kind of, told to our faces keep the mind of a child when you watch this movie and when we both had the minds of a child did that register at all with us it was nope superman's just turning the world back he's he's you know turning time backwards so we can save lois 
That's yeah. that's all the thought we gave it. And because, you know, Where'd you go? The way the audience, or that's the way the filmmakers wanted the audience to view the movie. Because, because if you bring actual scientific knowledge or actual, you know, what would happen if this took place? What would happen if, uh, or what would happen if Lois Lane was actually caught by Superman while she was falling from the helicopter? She would fall in three neat little pieces, you know, <laughs> because of the force involved. But it's like, no, of course he can catch her and no harm will come to her. It's Superman. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a, a thin explanation. It's not a very, it's not an explanation full of nuance, but it's for this universe. It's the only explanation you need. Of, of course he can do it. He's Superman. It's, it's the only one you've got and it's the one that's going to have to work. So I will, exactly. I will, I will concede to you on this and we'll kind Victory. of, we'll, we'll move along. Um, I, I'm going to call an audible here, Ryan. I feel like we've run a little bit longer than I was expecting. So I'm going to go back to our original plan uh, and that will be somewhere down the road. Uh, I will get you on to talk about Joker and Birds of Prey in depth instead of just a little uh you know touching upon them right now because i feel like i feel like you probably have enough to say about both of those movies that would uh, <laughs> yes that would fill up a whole episode so we'll hold on to those we'll table those we'll put a pin in them and we'll come back to them uh for now i'm just going to stay focused on this movie and i'm just going to kind of go into our final thoughts here on this one so ryan it's probably without question that this movie has a huge impact on you and on your life. Where does this rank for you as far as, as superhero movies go? To be 100% completely honest, and this wasn't always the case, but I would say from the time I was about 14 or 15 years old, when I was still young but old enough to understand the nuances of films and of storytelling and and, you know, how plots unfold in movies, you know, a, a little more sophisticated understanding of watching a movie than just sitting in front of it and taking it in. Yeah. Superman, the movie, has been my absolute favorite comic book movie and still is to this day, even though we're bombarded, inundated with uh, comic book material, because it's a great time to be alive right. if you're if, if, if you're into this kind of thing, because it's everywhere now. But but uh you know this is the the first crack they had at it as filmmakers and oh my god this you know i this is something you won't hear a lot nowadays but geez warner brothers really hit it out of the park with this one <laughs> they, they really did like this this movie is is such a grand slam and it's like it's one of those that i i feel like i forget how much I love this movie and how much I love Superman 2 uh, until I go back and, and watch them. I'm just like, this is, this is great. Like, this is so great. Uh, and I feel like this is really just a very important piece of, of cinema history that really adds to Richard Donner's legacy. I, I don't feel like he's a filmmaker that always gets his due and he is and responsible he for great movies so yes uh, yeah this is this is a wonderful movie i i really am so glad that you picked this one because it was great to go back and watch this like it's 
it's just spectacular and it flies like not to not to make <laughs> literally a yes. superman pun but it does it flies by so quickly and there's so much going on that it's it's like you know they they don't make them like this anymore like i feel and, like and I'm the, that guy the one the one that i watched today i did and i mean to maybe to make you a little jealous andrew but i watched the 3 hour television version <laughs> i have it i have it of of superman the movie today and you know this is it's just two and i mean it's it's of its time yes but that doesn't matter because by by the time you you have invested in the movie and you're into the plot points and, and you're rolling you're you're going with whatever they put on screen when we do see lex luther he is the full-on diabolical james bond villain he refers to himself as criminal as mastermind as dastardly you know he he knows he's evil he knows he's sick he knows he's twisted and he's an ultimate supervillain. he's reveling in it and and just the interplay between himself and his little sidekick who's played for laughs and and miss tessmacher his femme fatale you know you, you go all-out cartoon supervillain when you finally meet lex luther in the third act uh, Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. Uh, but, you know, still you, you go along with it. Like, this is the bad guy and oh, is he bad? You know, it's, it's, you know, it's just something that would never be done in a movie today. Like you said, they don't make them like this anymore. Yeah. But when, pe- when people go back and revisit this, if I could just put one word on this movie and its portrayal of Superman, it's not hyperbole when I say perfect yeah yeah i i think this movie is absolutely wonderful and i i i like i said i'll say it one last time really really glad you picked this one because it was great to uh great to revisit just a a wonderful wonderful movie that uh i don't know maybe it it made me feel happy it it was it's so earnest and so alive and it's just it just filled me with this uh uh, sense of joy not I mean a sense of nostalgia too but it was like I think people use the term nostalgia in a negative way sometimes to kind of diminish what something no means. nostalgia can be a great thing yeah, you know yeah, I think it's I think it's wonderful and just how it made me remember so much about growing up uh yeah this is a spectacular movie and man way to go good good job just- Ryan and you know, I you know, when <laughs> shucks, you say that to all your guests, don't you? I, uh, but I do. You know, but. <laughs> and to, and to tell uh, just a quick story, just a couple years ago, um, here locally in Sioux Falls, they do the classic series where they will bring out movies considered classics and put them back on the big screen. And they had for one weekend Superman the movie, and I turned to my friend when I found out that this was going to be one of the classic series and some of them we miss and a lot of them we try to catch but if I could have grabbed him by his shirt I would have been like we are going to this one (laughs) I don't care what else you had planned I don't care what else I had planned this is going to be one that we are going to see in the theater do you understand me this is what matters (laughs) and, and he was like yes please don't hurt me (laughs) Uh, and and we we went and when you if you can if you have the opportunity to see this film on the big screen i'm telling you from the moment that 
overture slowly built and you heard that theme from the first time against the spacecape and the the flying credits zoomed back into space i had tears in my eyes from the very beginning to the very end of the movie and the smile that didn't leave my face for two and a half hours that is how you will feel when you watch superman the movie yeah, it is just wonderful. Well, Ryan, it has been a delight talking with you about this movie. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up the way I wrap up every episode uh, with my five questions. Now, these questions have been dubbed by the great Jack Kruger Jr. Uh, uh, as the Fat Five. Uh, instead of nice. the Fast Five questions, they are now the Fat Five. Uh, and they're just, I love it. you know, five quick questions. You can answer them, you know, take your time, of course. But, you know, the, the, the objective is to try and go with whatever comes to your head first. Uh, so, mm -hmm. of course, my first question, it's the biggie. My first question is, what is your favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie of all time, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Awesome. Uh, well, who is your favorite actress? My favorite actress... At this very moment, sure, for, yeah. I would, for I would hope obvious reasons, is Gal Gadot. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> Who is your favorite actor, male performer? My favorite male performer. Jeez, this one's a little tougher. Uh, I would have to say probably... I'll give it to Christian Bale. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's a good pick. I, I really enjoy Christian Bale and what he does. Um, are there any directors that, typically the question here would be, who is your favorite director? But I've kind of tweaked that and changed it. I, I have a, a different way of asking that. But are there any directors that you would, you know, if they had a movie coming to theaters that you would drop everything and just be like, I'm going to this now? Well, hang on. I'm going to make a quick change. Can I make a quick change? Because this, sure, yeah. this ties into the director where no matter who it, what it is, I'm going. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Mr. John Carpenter is one of those directors for me, and I'm going to change my favorite actor to Kurt Russell. I'm, I'm on board with that change. I think that's perfect. A uh, little, uh, little bit of Jack Burton, Snake Plissken. Yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on board with some Kurt Russell. Uh, yep. And then the, the last question, Ryan... Uh, with with everything kind of movies in kind of a weird place right now, we don't know when something is coming out, if something is coming out. Is there a movie on the horizon that you are really looking forward to that's that's coming to theaters? Or is there something that, that's already out that you haven't had a chance to see that you're like, God, I've got to see that movie? The one I'm looking forward to when things do get back on track the most probably... I don't know if you can say looking forward to, because yeah. as we've as we've discussed, I'm very into Ben Affleck as Batman, uh, <laughs> very much. Uh, I wish he did get his solo starring Batman movie. Hashtag release the Snyder cut. Um, but uh, yeah, Warner Brothers, we just sang your praises here. Get on it. Uh, but I, I'm. Uh, anticipating apprehensively the batman i'm i'm excited for that one i'm super pumped there there, there are there are things about it that i've seen that i liked things about it that i've seen that i do not like 
and it's just one of those things where especially with the the film climate the way it is and and you know film fandom as it is i really try to be the guy to wait until we actually see the movie yeah to to whether or not you know not to bag on it right away because i want any batman movie i see to be good right i, I don't i don't care who's in it and i'll i'll expand the spectrum a little bit i want every movie that i see to be good absolutely i'm gonna i'm gonna be donating my time and copious amounts of money because i'm a snacker uh <laughs> to 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 going and, and enjoying this movie i want to go into it with the mindset that i'm gonna have a good time this is gonna be a great flick sometimes the movie itself lets me down but right. But they really have to be trying to let me down in order to, because I'm, I don't know, other people have this ability, it's not exclusive to me, but I have an ability to, when I see a movie, be like, okay, this is what the filmmakers were trying to do, and then most often, they do it, they did it, okay, this this is what they were trying to present to us, so you know, in, in that regard, like if it is what the filmmaker intended to give us, I'm, I'm cool. You know, even if it's, especially when it comes to something like the superhero genre, there, there are so many arguments to be made for so many installments and so many iterations of the characters where people say, I don't know, man, it's just not my Superman or it's just not my Batman, not my Spider-Man, you know, whatever it, it might be. It's it's not my character. It's not the version of the character that I wanted to see. I I really try and keep in mind, and it served me well, that it's it's not my version of the character because nobody has seen my Batman story yet. It's somewhere in my head. I've got it. Everybody who likes Batman's got one. Yeah. Every, everybody, everybody's got their version of their favorite character in their head and that's that character that's their superman that's their batman the one that they're going to see on the movie screen is the director and the writer's take on batman on superman right so so no so no matter when you go no matter what movie you see no it's not your character it's it's the director's character and just like a creative team on a comic book or just like the creative team on a movie. If you don't like this one, just wait a while. Another one's coming. Yep. You know? <laughs> it's true. It's true. We're rebooting everything. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I think that's a, I think that's a good choice because that's, that, it's one I'm looking forward to as well. Uh, it will be an interesting new, as new as it can be take on Batman. Uh, so I will, I will be there like any, any Batman movie I, I'm going to be there to see. So. I, I'm with you on that. But Ryan, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you again so, so much for uh, joining me for this chat on Superman the movie. Uh, where can people find you on social media if, they, if they're uh, so inclined? On social media, if they're so inclined, my Facebook page is still about my only social media presence. Uh, I do. Uh, I'm an old man there, too. I don't need these newfangled contraptions. The Insta post or the rap chat or whatever the kids are doing these days, I, I don't know. I, I, I still have my 
Facebook page. And, and by all means, whoever's listening out there, if you're at all intrigued by the things we talked about, if you want to rap a little bit about a different movie, or if you think my idea for a comic book sounds awesome and you want to tell me so, send me a friend request. Send me a quick message that said, I heard you on this podcast. I'm not a weirdo. Even if I am, will you please be my friend? And the answer will be yes. Yes, I will. Um, I'm, I'm open to uh, talk to anybody and that's, that's usually where you can find me. I know it's not, uh, the in thing that all the kids are doing these days, but my Facebook page is the place where you can find me on social media. Awesome. Ryan, thank you again. So, so much Ryan Stoic, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll chat again soon. It was wonderful to talk to you again, Andrew and audiences out there at the end of our conversation, you will believe a man can fly. All right, again, a huge thanks to Ryan Stoick for that conversation on Superman the movie. Uh, you can find Ryan on Facebook. Just do a search for Ryan Stoick. He is more than happy to add you and have a conversation with you. So please feel free to add Ryan Stoick on Facebook. He's a great guy. Uh, really enjoy getting to talk to him about any movie, but it was a lot of fun to talk about Superman the movie and that's going to do it for this episode of let's talk about it uh or let's talk about and then whatever the movie title is you you know what it's called you're listening to it uh you can follow fat dude digs flicks anywhere on social media facebook instagram twitter just do a search for fat dude digs flicks and you will find me there uh, i try to post movie reviews again i am backed up big time uh, and i'm gonna try and get those out there soon uh, subscribe to this podcast like this podcast share this podcast rate and review this podcast i would love to get more ears on this thing i love doing it i love being able to share uh my story and my appreciation for movies but not only that I love getting to have these conversations with people and getting to share their stories and their adoration for movies. Uh, so please, please uh, rate and review this podcast and let other people know that we are out here. Uh, things have been have been picking up uh, as far as this podcast is concerned, and it's just been so much fun to watch. And I, I hope that you enjoy uh, what we've got going on here. And we have a lot still to come let me tell you i am excited about what the future has in store for things at uh, let's talk about uh, you can also if you are subscribing to this podcast you are also getting the criterion break with andy and blake uh, this is another, just, this is a, a super huge passion project for both of us. Uh, Blake Ginnathan, the co-host of the Killer Countdown on the Backlot 605 Network, and I sit down and talk about the Criterion Collection on our most recent episode that is dropping right now as I speak, uh, but will be out there already when this episode has landed. Uh, Blake and I dive into the Criterion Collection talking about what we consider to be some of the best starting points. If you are new to the collection and want to find a place to begin, uh, we recommend some titles on a two-part episode. There will be 20 movies that we talk about that we think are worth your time for digging into the Criterion Collection. Again, that is the Criterion Break with Andy and Blake. It is also on this feed. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, requests, donations, anything like that, uh, you can just send an email to fatdude at digsflicks at gmail.com uh, I would love to look for more guests. 
I would love to get some recommendations for Blake and I on the Criterion break. Just anything that you have, questions, comments, concerns, like I said, please send them to FatDudeDigsFlix at gmail.com. I also want to recommend the Backlot 605 network, uh, Backlot605.com, also on various social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and their podcast. They are all friends of the show, and I am just super glad to know them, so you should check them out as well. And I also want to recommend, again, Summer's Off, the podcast with Ty and Rachel Hudson, uh, where they sit down and talk about movies that are near and dear to one of their hearts, uh, while the other person... (laughs) has to sit through whatever is selected. Uh, another really enjoyable podcast that I would highly recommend. Uh, Ty and Rachel are a lot of fun. And that is going to do it for this episode. So next week, on the next episode, I will be talking to the other founder of the Backlot 605 Network, Brian Mensing, about Back to the future. Uh, this is a good one. I'm, I'm excited to uh, uh, let you all hear this conversation. We had a, a really good chat. And uh, Brian gets to defend his selection of Sound City as the number two greatest film of the decade. So <laughs> I look forward for everyone getting to hear that and just getting to hear that episode in general. Uh, but for now, that's it. So join us here next week. Same fat time. Same fat channel. Now, in the meantime, wash your hands, stay safe, and maybe watch a movie or two. Bye. Thank you for listening to Fat Dude Digs Flicks.